0: To melbourne many years ago and she's trying to find out where we are by rotating the <laughs> the road directory as we're going it just was not a good idea but if this guy's lost, so i got a man's picture girls if this man's lost what's the problem here is the problem with the map or is it more likely with the person reading the map who thinks the map's the problem <laughs> it's fictional. <laughs> Who thinks it's probably more like the person reading the that? Okay, when we come to the use of our Bibles, when we get difficult or problematic understanding of the Bibles, it's usually not the Bible's fault. It's the reader's fault. Okay? And the church is guilty over 2,000 years of doing that really badly over and over and over again. It's been often the reader's re- reaction to it, response to it rather than the problem with the mat and this certainly applies also in the area particularly of the role of women in society that we've taken the text of our bible that we love and we've not handled it correctly so the next uh, bit i want to actually want to do is go to a secular seminar on the difference between women and men shopping patterns so we'll go to the video technology always works in this church because it's so good it is so good, really. That's <laughs> a promise. Are there any lip readers in and the I church could quant- that could... ...quantize it, quantize it, until I actually got one of those GPS tracking devices, <laughs> and I tracked my wife and mine's shopping trip. So all you had to do in this little experiment was go to the mall, go to the Gap, and buy a pair of pants. That's all you had to do. There's the mall, there's the gap. So here's how I do it. I walk in the mall, take a left, take a right, buy the pants, take a left, take a right, go home. That takes me six minutes and costs me 33 bucks. Go to the mall, buy a pair of pants. How hard is that? Here's how my wife does it. Oh, oh my God, I've always wanted those shoes. They're on sale. Oh, my God, that sweater is beautiful. Look at that over there. There's another sale. There's my wife right there. Three hours, 26 minutes. $876. And look, she never got to the Gap. Look! That's it for me. You guys have been a lot of fun. Thank you very much for coming out. So do I have any female friends still? Just a few. Next slide. uh, Next one again, thanks. So for me, you understand, I am a Bible teacher. And so I've tried to teach you, particularly as my church family over the years, that... If you take the text away from its context, you end up with a con. You actually have to do the hard work of saying, what does this scripture mean within the context in which it sits? And so you've got to find out the meaning of the word by looking at the sentence it's in. You find out the meaning of the sentence by finding out the paragraph that it's in. You find out the paragraph by finding out the book or the chapter that it's in. You find out the chapter by looking at the book that it's in and you look at the book by looking at the Bible it's in. The library of collected books over that period of time. That's hermeneutics, the science of understanding the Bible in one very simple lesson. So we actually have to do the hard work of finding out context. And not only is there the context of the physical text, there's also the context of where we live. If you were to try and explain to maybe someone who's just stepped off the plane from the backwoods of Papua New Guinea the concept of daylight saving. We don't even understand it. We live here. But if you were to mention the word daylight saving to someone who's come from a primitive culture, they want to say, you can't say daylight. You know, they've got, they would, well, you need a clock. Well, what's a clock? You've got to wind it forward. What do you mean wind it forward? So, yes, you actually got to do the work of looking at those two different horizons. The next picture just sets out the problem that without having an horizon, uh, without having an horizon, you end up with this situation where you have no perspective. This picture has no horizon, so you really don't know how far that tree is and how far the background is. So, you're always dealing with, when we come to trying to understand the Bible is that there are two horizons. There is where we are, where we're sitting today, on the 2nd of December, 2000, and whatever it is, and then there's the first century horizon, sometimes in which the scriptures were written. Okay, so next slide. So we need to check our cultural assumptions to correctly understand the Bible. True? Okay, that's a fair comment, isn't it? So next slide. Fantastic. Let's go back to, when was the King James Version of the Bible written? Six, six, 1611. So about the same circus. as Samuel Johnson, who was actually the person who wrote the first English dictionary. I couldn't think of anything more boring than sitting up all day. Aardvark. What comes after Aardvark? <laughs> he did it. But this was his comment when asked the question. He was a preacher himself. Sir, a woman's preaching is like a dog standing on its hind legs. It's not done well, but you're surprised to find it done at all. Now, he was actually speaking what was the culturally accepted phenomenon of the role of a woman at that particular time in that particular society. However, that's the same time that our premier English version for many years was being written. Okay, next slide. Um, we need to look at the, undergoing, the underlying theological implications that's contained in the Bible. Now Adam and Eve being archetypes of the original man and woman, they're in this garden and Eve does a bad thing. She eats that fruit, whatever the fruit was. Because they always say, we know they weren't Chinese because they would have eaten the snake and not the fruit. But she was deceived. Say deceived. She was conned. She was tricked into it. The man, the stupid man was sitting right alongside her, watching all this go on, does nothing. So much of what's wrong with the world today is when man say and do nothing men are called to be leaders wherever their world is and when we sow and do nothing when we're gagged bad stuff happens to families to businesses to society to government so the way the bible treats us believe it or not is that although eve did a bad thing adam did a a worse thing is worse for good than that word Adam did a really bad thing because he knew what he was doing. And so she was tricked, but he actually abdicated his role as being the king, the prince, regent, God's appointee to run the earth. He abdicated his responsibility. So the Bible holds Adam responsible in theologians to this day still struggle with the question, what happened if Eve ate of the fruit? (coughs) And Adam said, no, we're not going to do that. That's it. It stops there. Maybe nothing else would ever happened then. But we don't know, do we? But that's the, the Bible's uh, theological underpinning of what went wrong in the garden. And then came the curse. So Genesis chapter 3, verse 16 says that you shall now be cursed. So to the woman, I will greatly increase your labor pains, girls. All the mum said, I remember. <laughs> and with pain will you give birth to children? And you'll want to control your husband, but he will dominate you. Friends, that's actually a part of the curse. Sometimes we hear men actually quote Genesis 3.16. They quote it, well, you know, I'm meant to be the boss. It's actually a part of the curse. Now, I'm hearing some brains crunch now. Crunch, crunch. It's actually... No, listen to this. I will greatly increase your labor pains. You know, that's the menstrual cycle, all the stuff that women have to have, menopause, those sorts of things. And you'll want to control your husband, but he will dominate you. That's a part of the curse. So, uh, yeah, let's move on. Let's look at the outworking of this curse over the years. Women are invisible. This is in a, can you t- pick the difference between the rubbish and the wife? The next one. Uh, this is sati. The practice used to be practiced in Hinduism where the wife would be thrown onto the funeral pyre and burnt alive because that was her role, to be with her husband. Now he was dead, she had to be dead as well. There are 13 handprints of queens that have practiced sati. Next one, body image. Here, this is a particular Thai ethnic group where to be attractive, ladies, you have to look like a dragon. Some women... Well, no, I won't go there. (laughs) But isn't that sad? And, of course, this is quite... If they actually remove those rings, uh, they they die. It's very sad, isn't it? The pain, the discomfort that people cause. For women to meet man's expectations... Girls, can you hear me today? It's a part of the curse. Oh, thank you, Lisa. Are they listening to me or not, you're thinking? They are listening. Let me say it again, girls. For you to bend yourself out of shape to meet expectations, the mold that society's fashioned for you is a part of the curse. You're designed for freedom, liberty. Okay, next one. Uh, this is the Japanese foot binding. Where originally it was designed to keep the women close at the home. They couldn't run away. Now it's considered to be a sign of beauty. Fortunately, That's not being practiced as much these days. But could you imagine the incredible agony such a practice would cause? That's a definition of beautiful. Next one. It's probably more of a modern one this way. Where women are so hung up on how many pounds they've got on, the anorexic person believes that they are fat and refuses to eat as a result of they believe they are too fat. Um, I think I suffer from anorexia because one of the, seriously, one of the diagnosis points of anorexia is that when you look in the mirror, you appear to be fatter than what you are. (laughs) I think I've got it, man. (laughs) Very sad though. People die from this. People die because they don't look like the model. Next one. Okay, this is a terrific video. Double evolution. to you. Okay, folks, so, great, pilots, camera, camera's and sound, recording sound. But this is what women and more actually surprising now men are finding that they're being pushed into the role of I have to look right to be right. And so now you get young men who have to have abs. I I used to have abs but you know my six packs turned into a keg. (laughs) Uh, You now have men using makeup on a regular basis. Uh, not seeing it quite so much here in australia, but it 's catching up the pressure to look like the idol. Did you hear what I said? The idol. So these are just some of the next slide i 'll get away from my iPad. Thank you. So back in the time when the King James version of the Bible has been written, women actually worked down the mining pits, pulling trucks of coal. They had the same value as a pit pony. Next one, sometimes being pregnant. Honor killings. You know, where Zahida and Isaac come from, this is a real reality. I was in Pakistan up there on the border a number of years ago and uh, the roads are always crazy. And as we've, as our taxi's following this other taxi, it's more like sort of like a jeep with, at the back. There's all these young girls sitting in the back of the jeep in all their clothing and stuff. Some had, because our younger girls had their face showing, and they were just cute. And I'm just a funny white man, so I just waved. And the, my interpreters said, don't do that. Don't do that. If they're seen waving at you or smiling at you, it could result in them being killed as an honor killing. Isn't that so sad? The most natural thing for a safe adult to smile at a child could actually result in death in some countries. So it happens, and I can tell you stories. Jeff and Sue can tell you stories. Next one: domestic violence. It's uh, an issue, particularly in this area. Armidale is known as one of the domestic capitals of uh, Australia, and uh, often that's fuelled by substance abuse, unfortunately. Next one: torture. This is a scold's bridle for the talkative wife. Actually, we no. <laughs> The thing is, that's never been invented for a husband. It's only ever been invented for a woman. Next one. Uh, Rape. Uh, About one woman is raped every minute in the Western world. Most will go unreported. Next one. Genital mutilation. Uh, Many cultures. uh, Young girls are exposed to incredible hygiene and health issues. Next one infanticide today being born female is still going to be a danger they estimate about a hundred million females are missing from the planet every year just because they're female very sad isn't it i like girls next one here's a is she beautiful i think she's the most beautiful girl and here's big sister caring little sister and yet, in that particular part of the, of the Northern Territory, if she was born the third girl, that child would die. It would be left not to thrive. And you'd love to think that with what Jesus brought into the world was actually to help that little baby grow up and have an abundant life and live life to the full. Next slide. <clears throat> okay, the bad news is Genesis 3, verse 16, which says, To the woman... He said, I will greatly increase your labor pains. The women said, I remember. And in pain will you give birth to children and you want to control your husband, but he will dominate you. That's the bad news. Who wants good news? Here's good news. Galatians 3 says, Now, before faith came, we were held in custody under the law. But now that faith has come, you are no longer under a guardian, for in Jesus Christ you are all sons of God. Every woman in this place today, I want to tell you, you're a son of God. And I know that might weird you out, but I've explained. All the boys, wear the bride of Christ. I reckon you've got an easier metaphor to deal with as being sons of God as we have as being brides of God. <laughs> Come on, work with us here. But as a son of God, it's not a gender term. It's an inheritance term. It's a term of you get the keys to the house, you get to drive the car, you get to run the ranch because you're a son of God. I'm preaching better than you all listening, I think. I'm trying my best. Next one. World views of women. So depending on where you're born, you'll look at women slightly differently. We'll look at uh, the next slide. In the Hindu culture, it takes 40 successful lives of reincarnation to go from a female to a cow. But when you talk to some ladies, (laughs) oh, I'm getting naughty, aren't I? Just as well my wife's not here this morning, I'd be in real trouble. (laughs) I'd be in trouble. (laughs) But that affects the way. Hey, no, women are created from, the Bible says that women are taken from the very side of adam and by side you know you often hear it translated rib but the word there to be taken be taken from the side is an architectural term it is only used here in the bible to relate to something human it's an architectural term so literally what it actually says is that god actually made man from two halves It's just not a little bit not a little bone but actually out of the whole side god formed this wonderful woman. Next slide. Here, of course, we have the Islamic worldview. The eyes tell the story. I've just had my photo taken. Will I die? Will I be beaten? The Quran will give you permission to beat your... You're expected as an Islamic husband to beat your wife. It's in the scriptures. Next slide. Golf. Golf. A mad invention by white people. But you know what golf stands for? A good walk spoiled, that's true, but it actually stands for gentlemen only, ladies forbidden. That's what it stands for. Golf. So even us white people have had some prejudice over the years about the role of women in society. Yeah? Next one. Men only, entry for women is strictly forbidden. This is in a uh, uh, traditional Has- Hasidic Jewish context. Next one. Wanting to move forward. But Jesus thank you for jesus jesus changes everything he changes sin he changes sickness he changes suffering he gives purpose and he gives meaning and jesus christ has done more to lift the status of women back to her rightful role as the queen of heaven and the queen of earth more than any other figure on the face of the earth fact 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 isn't that wonderful Consider the fact that he's talking to not only a woman, but a Samaritan. A Samaritan was considered to be an unclean half-breed. When the disciples come and they find Jesus sitting at the well, talking with this personage, they are shocked, the Bible says, because he's talking to a woman. Not that he's talking to a Samaritan, but he's talking to a woman. But in doing so, he lifts her from a state of brokenness, I'll be in uh, some sort of a de facto relationship. And she goes off and says, this Pent man told me about living water and I'll never have to be thirsty again. And the whole village comes to know Jesus Christ and saved. Isn't that fantastic? And then you've got the situation. where here you've got Mary and Martha down in the the, uh, bottom quadrant here on the left. Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. What we don't fully appreciate in that culture at that time The women were meant to be in the kitchen cooking. Yeah? We probably still think a bit that way these days. And Mary's sitting at the feet with the boys, learning Torah, learning the Bible. She's in Bible college learning what the men are learning. The Talmud says that is actually a sign of demon possession and that woman should be taken away and stoned to death. Because that's uh, obviously a bad thing. So Martha comes out of the kitchen, apron in hand, dishcloth in hand, says, "Jesus, can you tell Mary that she needs to be back in here, doing her traditional cultural role?" What does Jesus say? No, no, no. Actually, Mary's doing the best thing here. Martha, you are busy about lots of things, but Mary's chosen the better. And he overturns all of societal expectations instantly in that moment. And most of us read the text and we don't even see what's going on. It was revolutionary. Then up there, who we've got Jesus um, with Mary Magdalene in the garden, you know, Tolé Mentengera, great theme in theology and art, you know, don't touch me, Mary. But Jesus did appear to a woman, the first person, the first apostle, the first messenger. To all the other apostles was a female. Go tell my brothers, your brothers and my brothers, that I have risen from the dead. Again, an incredible statement to lift the value of a woman's testimony in that particular day. If you were trying to create a story uh, and you came to it, well, how do we get Jesus to tell all the disciples and change the world? You, you, you wouldn't put a woman in there. You'd make it up. You'd have Peter there. He'd be good. Or maybe John. He'd be good. You wouldn't have Mary Magdalene. She had a bit of a suspicious background. And here's this other thing where Jesus is uh, being anointed by an unnamed woman who's now weeping and uh, washing the feet of Jesus with his hair. Now, in that culture, she was a prostitute. This lady is known to be a checkered woman. In that culture men were incredibly worried about the attraction of women on them and that women has, have this power of sexuality that does bad things to men. I'm telling you the truth. Is this all right? Women have this, this power sometimes which just wreck men. Islam copes with that by saying, well, what we do is we cover them up and we keep them away from us. We're frightened that if they're not covered up and kept away from us, that we will just become fallen, and failed creatures. But see, Jesus turns that all in. He is not frightened at all about the sexuality of this woman. He's not made unclean by her touch. Hallelujah. Hallelujah doesn't matter where you come from, guys, whatever you've done in your life. I want to tell you that when Jesus touches you, the power flows from him to you. His purity comes into your impurity. His wholeness comes into your unwholeness. His peace comes into your dis-ease. It doesn't flow the other way. Hallelujah. He was not frightened at all about the touch of this woman. He's not made unclean by that at all. So it's a radical restoration to the role of women. And I have to go very fast. Is this okay? We're doing all right. Okay, quickly. The Van horizons, Bible. Next one. Let's get these horizons coming together. Okay, here's an example within 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We touched on a little bit when we're doing 1 Corinthians 11. But here are the two Greek words, aner and gune. So you could take the traditional King James approach to understand this text and translate. Now, I want you to know that Christ is the head of every man and the man is the head of the woman and god is the head of christ or you could take a more modern approach to this and translate it in the marriage relationship there is authority from christ to the husband and from the husband to the wife and the authority of christ is the authority of god now they are totally different theological understandings aren't they Totally different. It's a very big thing to say that I am Lisa's head because I'm a male. They might have something to say about that. See, I am every female's head today because I'm male. That's one one way the theology goes. The other way the theology goes is that I, I am actually the head of my wife. Okay? Very different. And, of course, what happens in the Greek is that those two words can be adequately translated both ways. In fact, when they're translated actually together in the same verse, they usually, except for one other occasion in the Bible, always talk about husband and wife. And here's the real trick. When the King James Version people actually translated it as the top one, they probably read it in their head as husband and wife. You understand? But we've now forgotten that culture, so we now can actually read that in a way where we get into a position where we are now in error because we're not taking the time to find out what's really being said here. Next one. Thank you. Okay, as another example. King James says in Ephesians 4, he gave gifts unto men. That would seem to say that all apostles, pastors, prophets, teachers, evangelists have to be men. However, the text actually better reads as, and he gave gifts for the benefit of people. That's actually what that text is saying. But unless we do the work of what's really going on, we could actually misread what's happening. Next one. Okay, now there are two problem verses in the Scripture. If it wasn't for these two texts, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 34, 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12, we would not be having this conversation. It just wouldn't exist. It's just just these two, just these two. And I actually want to provide adequate explanation to those two texts in about 10 minutes' time. But before we do that, just want to give you a little bit more evidence of the role of women within the Church of Jesus Christ in the first century. So, next slide. We do have evidence of a female apostle in Romans chapter 16, verse 7. Greet Adronicus and Junius. Junius is a female, they were outstanding amongst the apostles. Next one. There are female prophets in the Bible in Acts chapter 21, verse 9. Philip had four daughters who prophesied. And even in the Old Testament, you've got Hilkiah the priestess. Sorry, Hilkiah the priest went to hold her, the prophetess. And of course, in Luke chapter 2, you've also got Anna who was at the temple as a prophetess at that time. So women can prophesy. Women can be apostles. Next one. Female evangelists. This is uh, certainly the view of some scholars. The language is neutral about the woman at the well. In other words... One sows and another reaps. Certainly, the woman is acting here in the role of evangelist, maybe not in the office of an evangelist. If you're interested, read the books. Next one. Thank you. Uh, these guys on the left hand side are called yoke fellows Mark, Silas, Justice, Aristarchus, Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus, etc. On the other side, you've got Priscilla, Eurodia, and Sintek also mentioned as yoke fellows. Using the masculine term for their role. Not the feminine term, but the masculine term. Why would we say that they're doing something different to the guys, the blue guys? Same term, different roles. You know, because she's a girl, she must be actually a yoke fella, but that means she's doing the cups of tea and the cups of coffee and she's sweeping the floors. It doesn't make sense, does it? We are yoked together with Jesus to work and with Paul. Next one. Uh, there's a female teacher in Priscilla Niquilla. Uh, Priscilla, its name is always mentioned first in Scripture, she shows that she was the prominent one in the role. She has a church in her home. And in Romans chapter 16, I commend you, our sister Phoebe, a servant, a minister of the church in Centria. That word would normally refer to a preacher at any, some, at any time. Next one uh, female pastors to Nympha and the church in her house she lived today, she'd probably have to change her name. <laughs> okay, and there are others as well we could talk about. I'm just going fast. Next one, a female elder. This is an interesting example, I think, where we can see how our cultural assumptions have shaped the way we read Scripture. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1, Rebuke not an elder, the same word in the masculine word, and then treat him as a father and a younger man as a brother. We would normally read that as an elder in the church, okay, an office. Then it says in chapter two, verse 2, the elder, it's exactly the same word, exactly the same, and they translate it, treat the old women. So you've either got to be, you have to be consistent, don't you? You've either got to translate the first one, rebuke not the old man in the church, and rebuke not the, and the old women are meant to do this, or they're both elders. It's actually quite clear, in my opinion, that they are both elders, a female elder. Next one. And there's others that we could look at, plus gravestones, history. So let's dig in. Let's, let's do the Bible study in those tough verses. Quickly, next one. We're going to get there. Let the women keep silent. All the men said, boo. boo. Okay. 1 Corinthians verse 14 and 34. It is most likely, even though it's at uh, current, that this is a, the, the image you're looking at here is a traditional Jewish synagogue. The men worship downstairs, the women worship upstairs from the balcony. In some time, in many synagogues, they would actually have a screen so that they couldn't be easily seen from the screened area. In some synagogues, they would actually would have also other little porticoes where the women could go and worship but not be seen. And so in this particular environment, you could see the possibility of women calling out, Hey, honey... <laughs> Did you remember to get the chicken from the market, <laughs> or you know, or you know, leader, uh, Rachel, Rachel, you know, did you remember to get the beans? you know, whatever it is and stuff? You can see how the division would be different to where it is now, where if Lisa needs to ask David a question, she can discreetly move across and blow air in his ear <laughs> like that. It's so cute, isn't it? So, yeah, that could happen um Next one. Thank you. Next slide. So we've been looking at Corinth. We've worked out that the church at Corinth has problems. Then we move into chapter 14. The problems are now that we're looking at in verse 14, chapter 14, are problems with the gifts. We've worked that out, haven't we? And so here we get problems with disorder taking place and the use of the gifts. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 28, if there are no tongues interpreter, they are to keep... Okay, that's what the Bible says. If there is no other prophet speaking, then the other prophets are to keep silent. And if you have questions for your husband, you are to keep silent. You cannot make the word silent. The same word means something different on the third occasion. It's referring to exactly the same phenomenon, which is, when I'm talking, shut up. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. This is how it works. Next slide. So either this is a universal command for all women, for all time, in all churches, to keep silent, which doesn't make sense because in 1 Corinthians 11, it says, When a woman prays or prophesies, so they're obviously allowed to speak something in the congregation. So we've got to actually work out context, context, what's going on here. Or it's a universal command for all women not to disrupt the service by interrupting the speaker. I think that the second one is right. The universal command is, is that whether you are male or female, please don't interrupt what's taking place in the service. Next slide. That's how you deal. And then we've got that verse. Let a woman learn in silence with full submission. I permit no woman to teach or have authority over a man. She is to keep silent. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became the transgressor. You see how Adam's got the theologically the biggest sin here, but women were deceived. So there's a theological underpinning. And then the challenge is verse 15. Most people who form a, uh, an opinion on verses 11 and 12 never then deal with verse 15. One of the most difficult verses in the Bible to wrestle with. Because it goes on, yet she will be saved through childbearing provided they continue in faith and love and holiness and modesty. So does that mean you're not going to die in childbirth? Well, sadly, Christian women down the years have died in childbirth. So what's it saying? Okay, let me go on first to say that, firstly, the emphasis here in Greek in this verse is, let a woman learn. That's the emphasis. That's in the imperative tense. There's all sorts of tenses, but where the exclamation mark goes in what Paul's saying here is actually let women learn. That's the exclamation mark. It's actually an encouragement for women to learn. That's the instruction. And then he gives reasons for that, and we'll try and unpack those reasons. Next one, I'm doing, I might even get there. The word there to shirp authority is the word authentio, where one who with his own hands kills another or himself. It's a pretty strong word. Acts on his own authority or autocratic, a rebel Wants to be the absolute master to govern or exercise dominion over another person. So this is a strong word. It's actually a military term. Very strong. So Paul's against a woman doing that in a context. Let's try and work out context because of outer context. So here's your two impossible interpretations once again. I'm sorry. I've given you a lot. Is anybody's brain hurting yet? Okay. Here's your two. Paul is commanding. This is option number one. Paul is commanding that all women in all churches for all time remain silent and never teach. That's one option of what that means. And if that's true, every church has failed to keep that. Even churches like, say, the Catholic Church that would have a very strong opinion over the ordination of women. Nevertheless, the dean of their theology department out at Notre Dame University is Dr. Angela Jeffrey. She's a female. So she's teaching the priests, what they're going to be teaching in the churches. So every church over every year, and often where the biggest exposure would be is that we won't let the woman teach here in the white congregation, but when we send her to Africa, she can teach all the black boys, you know, that's okay somehow. Or she she can teach with a man standing alongside her, just making certain she's okay. Or she can teach the children in the Sunday school Every church, you're getting what I'm trying to say? Every church that's gone for option A has failed to do it anyway. Okay? So maybe option B needs to be considered. Paul is commanding that all women in all churches for all time not to rebel against the appointed leader, but should first learn and then teach. That to me sounds a lot more like what's going on in Corinth in ephesus where paul's writing the letter and if you get the background i'm really out of time but i'll just go quickly next slide boom thank you ephesus steve was there a little while ago amazing place steve i would love to be with you michelle walking up the corinth and looking at the place where they had the prostitutes and you know the the um the um the thing with the temple and stuff. So- hey diana This was the third largest city in ancient Near East. Diana is a female female goddess and she is actually a big deal in Ephesus. That's probably affecting what women are doing in church on Sunday. And so the next slide quickly, I won't elaborate. I could elaborate, but I won't elaborate. Dan Brown's novel. uh, 43 million copies sold. New York Times, you know, the Da Vinci Code thing. You know, the Da Vinci Code is a total, it's fiction. (laughs) I'm sorry to tell you, it's fiction. However, the strands of what's going on in the Da Vinci Code about women being deified, being image bearers, priestesses, early Gnosticism, that background that he's pulled his book from is what's actually taking place at the church at Ephesus. So you've got a young pastor, Timothy. He's probably 30 years of age. He's probably got some women in the church that have gotten saved, but they don't know a lot yet. And they're probably wanting to teach people things that they understand, but it's all mixed up with some of this new Gnosticism, this uh, elevation of the role of women in a very sexual sense sometimes and stuff. So Dan Brown's model, uh, novel is useful in the sense of that's the problem back here when Paul's saying, I want a woman to learn first. Okay, let's go to the next one. Oh, I've got two minutes to go. Sozo. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say sozo. Great word. Sozo means to be made whole, to be saved. We're looking at verse 15. So the woman will be made sozo. They will be made healed. I like to take the, the whole idea that it's talking about wholeness rather than about physical healing. I like to take the idea it's talking about health and completeness, not the idea of some sort of divine protection over childbirth. This is why I believe this. Let's look at the overall context. Next slide. And we're there, almost there. Okay, 1 Timothy 2, the full context. A provisional understanding. Prayers and recognition for proper authorities, verses 1 to 4. There's prayers and recognition. When you come together, you should pray for the kings and the governors and the rulers. And then he goes on, but there is no mediator between God and man. Gnosticism was about having female go-betweens. You needed a female in between to reach God. But Paul says, no, there is one mediator between God and mankind. That's Jesus Christ. Says it. Not Mary, not some spirit, not some angel. There is one mediator and his name's Jesus. I hope you know him. Then Paul has... It then says, I've got apostolic uh, right here to govern. So he's has kind of about to bring correction. He wants men to pray without any disputes, lifting up holy hands. So he's now talking about order in the church service. He wants women to behave similarly by focusing on internals, not externals. It's more important what your heart is laid than what hairdo you've got. Then he says, let women learn in silence, not rebelling, because there's a theological basis for sin and deception. Women... Are a little bit more prone to deception than man. That's because they're a little bit more prone to be spiritual. So your girls tend to be a little bit more wired with the intuitive, the perceptive. Men sometimes are just thick as bricks. They don't get anything. <laughs> you know, the the woman can walk in and think something's wrong. You know, I can feel something's wrong. Man walks in, what's in the fridge? <laughs> what's for dinner? So the way that men and women are wired is that we are far more compartmentalized and analytical as men. It's a generalization, I know. You'll find women that are very analytical as well. But as the generalization goes, women are more intuitive and perceptive and spiritual, which makes them wonderfully available to the Holy Spirit, but also makes them wonderfully available to deception as well. And so rebelliousness can be restored by proper living. And the very next verse, you know how we should take chapters out of the Bible? The very next verse is chapter 3, verse 1. Normally we stop at verse 15. But the chapter's not there. The chapter's not there. And the Bible says, if anyone, neuter, male or female, desires to be a bishop, uh, bishop and overseer, its a worthy ambition. Next slide. So, women can, here's your answer women can serve in a menial capacity. Or, this one, women can minister in a Holy Spirit capacity. Or, last slide, we got there. Jesus said, You stupid men. (laughs) It's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. So, Mary runs to tell the boys, Hey, boys, Jesus is alive. Rejoice. And they just didn't believe her. And so when Jesus catches up for the boys he says, Hey, boys, you're stupid. <laughs> you should have listened to the girls. I don't know how many times someone has prophesied over my life, Listen to your wife. Uh, and I've never liked those prophecies. <laughs> But together we make up this wonderful compliment. So, hey, thank you for going through a very fast thing. But we we are a movement and we are a church that believes in releasing women into their destiny. We also believe that men should be released into their destiny. And men are meant to be leaders. They're meant to set the emotional tone. And they're meant to open up their mouth when something's not right. They're meant to have naming rights. In the ancient world, naming something gave it its function and its destiny. Boys, men, when you open up your mouth and you say, you say to a kid in your school, are hey, you going to be okay? Or you've got uh, you know a little, a little child in your family and you lift them up and say, I want you to know that you're loved by your dad and you're going to be fine. You have incredible power when you say that. You do not underestimate how we have as men. When the animals came out, uh, God got to Adam to name the animals and the naming of the ad- animals. This is the idea in the ancient worldview. In the ancient worldview, you shall be a giraffe. And it's a giraffe. You shall be an elephant. And it's an elephant. You shall. This is what's going on in the ancient world. By giving it the name, you're giving it its very essence. You know, it's a powerful prophetic sort of understanding. So we want a a day and an age where men will be men and women will be women and furry creatures will be little furry creatures. (laughs) It's very difficult. T.D. Jakes uh, is one of the, probably considered to be the finest preacher in the world. I mean, it's a certain style and all the rest, but he's certainly very exciting. He made really his, his breakthrough and success came through preaching a little message based on the book of Luke chapter 13 where the Bible says from verse 10 that he was at the synagogue, teaching at the synagogue on the Lord's day. He was at church and in church there was a woman who had been crippled for 18 years by a spirit. And when he sees this woman who's been crippled by the spirit for 18 years, something goes off in his spirit and he says, no. And he calls her out and he lays his hand on her and she's instantly healed. And he says, woman, you are free. And she was free. And, One of my hope is today that there might be some women here today where suddenly the lights have gone on a little bit for you and you can hear the voice of Jesus through my voice today to know that you don't have to be crippled on the inside. You don't have to be bent over, restricted by the spirit of the age, that you don't look right, you don't fit the size eight. Barbie could not exist in real life. She would fall over and snap at the waist. She's... She don't exist, okay? There's so many spirits out there, so much conformity and whatever. And I want you to know today that Jesus is moved by that. And the moment that he sees that, his heart is to say to you, woman, you are free of that. He wants you ladies to stand up, to stand up on the inside, not to be bowed over, pushed down by Father's expectations, husband's expectations, school expectations, feminist expectations. You're called to be co regents to make the world a better place, to bring heaven to earth in your home, in the cradle, in the crash, and in the boardrooms. You know, wherever God positions you, you are a woman of God. Shake off anything and be healed in the name of Jesus. Be free. I reckon one of the best things some of you girls could do is go home and throw away most of your makeup. A little bit's nice. <laughs> well, you know, why is it that some girls, they can't go out without spending an hour painting their face? It's, it is. It's a cruel bondage day. You are beautiful. You are beautiful. You are wonderful. You are God's. Your identity, your significance as a woman is not in your man, but it's in your God. And He loves you. The incredible pressure on the world today where, I don't know, Dr. Val could check me, but how many girls you are know, fighting with issues of bulimia, anorexia, self-harm. It's almost at a plague proportion in our society with the average girl in our society. They're not going to get through their puberty years without having extreme pressure placed on their sexuality, their identity, who they are. Well, I want to tell you today who you are. You are a son of God. You're destined to live and to rule and reign. You're destined to be the head and not the tail because greater is he that's in you than what's on your face. Greater is he that's within you than anything the world might say about it. Girls, it's time for you to stand up. Stand up in God. Have your head held high. Find your girl pride. Find your God pride. And live strong for Jesus. I tell you what, if the girls get on fire, look out, men, because we will often catch on fire very well. (laughs) I've gone too long. I used to, um, in my wild days, I won't tell you that one. (laughs) Oh, thank you, Jesus. If you're a a lady here today, I'm going to pray just that very simple prayer of you prophetically, you're free. You're free. You might have a background. You might have all sorts of baggage on your life. You might have been the victim of sexual abuse, Prisoned by expectations. You may have had the ability to say no, robbed from you. You may not like what you see in the mirror. Today I want to just quickly pray for you. So if you're a woman... Just quickly stand up we 're going to pray a blanket prayer' not going to call you out in the front, but i 'm going to pray that something will just break in you, and you will know that you have so much more in your life that's not it's not about who loves you, who doesn 't love you, who 's rejected you, who 's not rejected you. you are, I want to set you free from any crippling spirit in the name of jesus i can 't do it i 'm just saying that i can 't do it. But the power of the Holy Spirit, if Jesus was here, he would see you in church today. He would see your crippled spirit and he would instantly reach out to touch you, wouldn't he? Well, Jesus is here. He's just using this funny guy at the front to do that for you. So I really want you to be in a mode of reception for this. Just, uh, just lift your hands if you can. Just make a little funnel. Dear Jesus, we love you. We honor you. We give you the first place in our house today. Lord, you love these ladies. You love these women. And Lord, you love them so much that as you pause the whole plan of salvation so you can meet with one woman in the garden, Lord, just as valuable is every girl right now standing in your presence. You're prepared, Lord, to pause the program to slow it down, that you would just speak liberty, freedom, freedom, Joy, Father, I pray that every woman of God here would suddenly have her identity shifted from the brokenness and the bruising in society's expectations to being a daughter of Abraham, a daughter of faith, a daughter of the covenant, one with rights to reign and rights to rule in Jesus' name. Woman, you are free in Jesus' mighty name, in Jesus' mighty name. God bless you. Really appreciate you just uh, giving me that little bit extra time. Let's have the band up. I've gone a little bit longer, but I either had to do that over two weeks, which means we'd never get out of the book of Corinthians, or we, uh, I try to do that as well as we can. It's a happy day, isn't it? It is a happy day when Jesus comes and sets you free. Ladies, walk, talk. Walk, talk. Don't let stuff happen. I mean, stuff happens, but push through, walk, talk. Free in Jesus' name. God bless you. Thanks for coming to church. Uh, see you at the Armadale Minister's uh, Carols by Candlelight. Today it starts, gates open at 6 o'clock. It's a bit of a festival, you know, bouncy castles, all that sort of stuff. But the program starts at 7.30. I think Crystal singing for us, which would be really good.